The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. Thank you for joining Beside Still Waters podcast with Christian Javois. Beside Still Waters is the moment in our day when we seek stillness in God's presence, guidance from the Word of God, and grace to live by faith. This is the moment when we view horizontal living from the divine perspective. For the eyes of Jehovah run to and fro through the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of those whose heart is perfect toward him. Now here's today's message. We hope it will be a blessing. Welcome again to Beside Still Waters. Glad you can join me. And uh, it's always a pleasure and a privilege to take time out to share musings from God's Word and uh, perhaps a word of encouragement uh, to the believers to uh, seek to foster a walk with God. Uh, We were thinking and uh, meditating on God's terror in our last podcast. And of course, people often marvel at the notion of God being an angry God. We ignore the sacredness of of, uh, the covenants that we make with God. And when any covenant is established and one party breaches that covenant, anger is a justifiable reaction. People enter into covenants uh, based on mutual trust. And if that trust is breached, it's cause for anger. Additionally, uh, the covenant is typically entered into with a vow to behave in the mutual best interest of all the parties. And if that covenant is breached, again, anger is justifiable. Oftentimes, a covenant presupposes the exercise of good faith. There's a mutual expectation of benefit. And when that covenant is breached, anger is justified. Now, we have two groups operating in in our universe, (laughs) to put it that way, God and man. Man is categorically at war with God. And we learn that from the scriptures. We see that in the book of Romans. And of course, we can examine other books in the scriptures and, and, and see it lived out, fleshed out. We are told in the uh, book of Romans that the flesh, our fleshly natures, are at war with God. Flesh and spirit warring with each other. In Galatians, I should say. It is therefore on. Well, I guess the question is, is it therefore unreasonable to expect that man in an unregenerate state at war with God and who has not entered into a covenant with God is still answerable to God? And the answer to that is yes, because he has been created by God with a free will, living in a moral universe, which also has been created by God. However, The regenerated soul, the believer, is covenant-bound to God. And you ask, well, where is the evidence of the covenant that binds a believer to God? 
One picture of that covenant is given to us in Matthew 26 when the Lord Jesus Christ referenced his body and blood as the key elements of a new covenant. His body to be broken in suffering and vicarious judgment on our behalf and his blood shed for the remission of sins. And those participating in that covenant were not only sitting at that table that night, but all believers that followed thereafter were also bound by this covenant. It is the blood of Christ shed for the payment of sins and his bodily sacrifice becoming the means of procuring man's redemption. God and man, God and the believer, have entered into this covenant for mutual benefit. God for his glory and we for the remission of sins and the obtaining of eternal life. This covenant has been ratified in holy blood and by a holy sacrifice. Now, our focus today is on a few Old Testament kings who were covenant breakers. As you know, the kings were required to read and uh, write a copy of the law as part of their kingly responsibilities. So they are covenant bound. Now, whether or not they did it is really irrelevant by virtue of the fact that God has commanded and they have taken that role of king. Guess what? <laughs> they are covenant bound. In obedience or disobedience, whatever the consequences, they are bound by covenant. And so covenant breakers is our focus. And the justifiable wrath of God. Now, there are lessons for us as well. For example, Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat, clearly walked in the religious practices of the kings of the northern kingdom. They were idolaters. And we find, for example, find this in Second Chronicles 21. He did what his father did. That is, marry a pagan idolater, the daughter of Ahab. Now you ask, well, since he was a covenant breaker, how was the anger of God justified? And if justified, how was it displayed? Well, in Jehoram's case, it was by God raising up opposition. God displays anger at the breach by stirring up opposition from a multiple or multitude of places and adding to that, he caused him to become ill. We're told, for example, in verse 8, Edom revolted. Verse 10, Libna revolted. As a, uh, a result of these two revolts, did this king reevaluate his conduct? No. Verse 11 tells us he multiplied the places where he can continue idolatrous practices. Essentially, he chose to worship other gods, even though Jehovah proved in his word, the history of Israel, that he alone is the living God. He willfully rejected the evidence and the knowledge. Knowing that he breached the covenant, 
and offended a holy God. And therefore, there was no hope left for this man. What's our takeaway? What's our moral lesson? Well, surely God will not leave himself without a witness. And he will make it clear what he is about to do in not only the king's life, but in our life, in the life of the covenant breaker. And what he will do is bring upon them justifiable wrath. The wrath of an angry God whose covenant was breached and whose expectations were unmet. God suffered the loss due to his apostasy. And this is key to God responding with opposition and wrath because there was a just expectation of benefit on the part of God. However, he suffered loss due to that king's idolatrous practices by robbing God of his glory. The divine accusation and identified breach were evident when this king followed not in the ways of his father Jehoshaphat, who kept the covenant. He had evidence of a man who kept the covenant. And this king was told, <laughs> you followed in the ways of the kings of the northern kingdom. And add to that, he influenced others in his idolatrous ways. The penalties for breaching this covenant, as Jehovah said through the mouth of Isaiah the prophet, I will smite you with a great stroke, both you, your children, your wives, your people, and all of your substance with a sore sickness until your bowels fall out by reason of the sickness day by day. And then add to that judgment, we're told in verse 16, Jehovah stirred up the spirit of the Philistines, the third revolt, and the Arabians, the fourth revolt, and the Ethiopians, and they took away the king's substance, his sons, his wives, and only one son was left. And my friends, then the judgment of God fell on this man. And we are told in verse 18 that he was smitten with the sickness that, that Isaiah spoke of, uh, smitten with the sickness in his bowels, and it was an incurable sickness, and it worsened it to the point where his bowels fell out of his body cavity, and he died in cruel suffering. How sad. And here is the takeaway regarding uh, being a, uh, a covenant breaker, regarding opposition, when God raises up resistance this king placed himself as an adversary of God. He chose behaviors and practices that were adversarial to the covenant that he entered into as a king. And as a result of this breach, the subsequent consequences were justifiable. My friend, when we live contrary to this covenant of blood sacrifice, that of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and we embrace lifestyles, practices, speech, or any sort of conduct that is deleterious 
to the covenant that we have entered into and uh, behaved in a manner that grieves the Spirit of God, we invite the judgment of God. And we find this, for example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the 26th to the 32nd verse. And Paul, writing to this church that was in outright rebellion on so many levels, he says, For as often as you shall eat this bread and drink the cup, you announce the death of the Lord until he come. So that whoever shall eat the bread or drink the cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty in respect of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man prove himself and thus eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For the eater and the drinker drinks judgment to himself, not distinguishing the body. My friends, we need to be mindful of the fact that this is a sacred covenant that we have entered into. It's a holy covenant. And Paul goes on to say, on this account, and here it is, here's the judgment, here is the evident anger of God displayed. On this account, many among you are weak and infirm or sickly, and a good many are fallen asleep. But if we judged ourselves, so we were not judged. But being judged, we are disciplined of the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. The saints were exhorted regarding their conduct. They were disorderly in their living, and they were breaching the covenant they have with the Lord Jesus Christ and God the Father. Paul stated, because of the breaches, they experienced weakness, sickness, and death. Covenant breached. God aggrieved, consequences follow, judgment is sure. Another king we have, uh, Ahaziah, <laughs> his judgment for breaking the covenant was by virtue of his associations. Jehoram's son, Ahaziah, was also judged by Jehovah because his lifestyle and the spiritual path that he took were influenced governed by, guided by the house of Ahab, which we know was unholy and idolatrous. In Second Chronicles 22, we are told that he walked in the ways of the house of Ahab, for his mother was his counselor to do wickedly. And he did evil in the sight of Jehovah like the house of Ahab. For they were his counselors after the death of his father to his destruction. So he was influenced by the practices of the house of Ahab. Twice we are told this. His influencers were of the house of Ahab. Ahab's sister was his mother. And she was his counselor as well. And she embraced the values of the household that she was raised with. So he was moved to do evil in the sight of God, just like his counsel guided but the witness of the Spirit of God to covenant breakers is to warn us, firstly by the scriptures. According to his holy word, God will subject them to his judgment, both they and their counselors, by association 
Again, I repeat, by association, the judgment that God decreed for those that counsel you will be the same standard that will be used against you. God is holy. And and please note that the judgment assigned to this king, Ahaziah, was given to the prophet Elijah before Ahaziah came to the throne. You see, Elijah was commissioned to anoint the king of Assyria, anoint a king over Israel, the northern kingdom, which was to be for Jehu. And one of the judgments that was assigned to Jehu is that he would execute on behalf of Jehovah judgment upon the house of Ahab. Judgment was already on its way assigned and anointed by God before this king Ahaziah did what he did. And when Ahaziah chose his evil path, he was unaware that Jehovah had already set in motion this judgment. And this judgment would meet Ahaziah at the crossroads of his life. And my friends, the lesson, the warning to you and me (laughs) and every fellow saint is simply this. You may have chosen a path, or I, such that consequences have not been experienced immediately by those choices. But be warned, the judgment is already on its way, and it is ordained of God to meet the rebel at the crossroads of that person's life. And so it behooves all of us to evaluate our walk, our steps, and turn to the path of holiness a God-glorifying path, so that we would never approach that crossroads point where God has ordained judgment to meet us. And you say to yourself, how can God judge me because of those who counseled me? I didn't know about their lifestyles. And I say to you, the witness is given in the scriptures to examine those who who counsel us and their lifestyles. The law, the commandments are written on our hearts. And we have a conscience. These are God's messengers to cause us to take a different path. Away from the path which is to violate conscience, ignore holy writ, and and silence the voice of the law of God written on our hearts. So let it be known to you and me that if we do so, judgment is sure, judgment is on its way. This king arrived at his crossroads, and Jehu was the one that he met, the one that was anointed for judgment. And by that point, it was too late. And we find that in 2 Chronicles 22, verses 7 and 8. We won't take the time to read it. You could check it out for yourself. And then we have third king, Joash. This king, (laughs) uh, it's a sad story, but he rejected time-tested wise counsel. He He rejected it. He had enough time to experience the good of it, And when given the opportunity, he rejected it. Here is the warning. Many of us have prospered to this very day by wise counsel. 
And should we decide to turn away from wise, godly counsel and revert to godless counsel, we are told in Second Chronicles 24 and 20, <laughs> you cannot prosper for you have forsaken Jehovah and he has forsaken you. This is what was told to this king, Joash. Prosperity, in whatever form it takes, is a byproduct of God's presence with you, with me, with us. And it does not spring from any good that you or I have procured for ourselves, or some law of the universe, or good for, uh, fortune, or good luck. It is God and God alone that prospers you, prospers your belongings, prospers your health, your finances, or whatever aspect of your life that has been blessed. And the day a believer decides to turn against God in the false notion that your prosperity will continue, you have deceived yourself. This young king desired in his heart to go after the idolatrous, worthless manner of life, but as long as his wise and holy counselor, Jehoiada, was alive, this king, as we say in the vernacular, he towed the line. He came as close to the line with his toenails, <laughs> but never crossed over. He talked the walk. You know, we, we find that in Christian circles. They say, oh, you know, that brother or sister talks the walk. They're not walking the walk. They're talking the walk. And upon the death of Jehoiada, the princes of the land of Judah and Benjamin came and bowed themselves to the king, King Joash. <clears throat> and we are told in 2 Chronicles 24 and 17 and 18 that he hearkened, he listened to them. And they forsook the house of Jehovah, the God of their fathers, and served the Asherahs and idols. And then listen to the consequence that's told in verse 18. <laughs> it says, And wrath came upon Judah and Jerusalem for this their trespass. Jehovah even gave them respite, opportunity to reform their ways, as we're told in the 19th verse, that he sent prophets among them to bring them again to Jehovah. <clears throat> And these prophets testified against them, but they would not give ear. Now listen to what happened to this king. <laughs> and it becomes a warning yet again to those of us who would think to forsake God. There were three types of judgment. <laughs> Verse 23 tells us, The Syrians came up against them and entered into Judah and Jerusalem and destroyed all the princes of the people and sent the spoil to the king of Damascus. The prosperity that they sought to preserve, that is Joash and his people, that blessing was removed. Verse 24. This is interesting. Truly with a small company of men came the army of the Syrians, but Jehovah delivered a very great army into their hand because they had forsaken Jehovah, the God of their fathers, and they executed judgment upon Joash. Here's the takeaway. God used a tiny force, a tiny Syrian force, to defeat 
uh, Judah and Benjamin, a much greater force, and plundered them. This was a judgment against Joash. These are the ways of God. He used a little, a little army to defeat a great army and to plunder them. In verse 25, And when they had departed from him, for they left him in great diseases, his own servants conspired against him and killed him on his bed. How sad is that? This was the reward for forsaking the living God. Going after evil counsel, following the ways of men who did not have the interests of the kingdom of God at the forefront of their thinking. And this is what awaits us when we walk with God. And at some latter day, we decide in our hearts that I don't want to live this life anymore. I want to think and do as I please. I want to live life on my own terms and not the terms of the covenant. And I want to say this to you. Remember, we have been redeemed by precious blood and we no longer are our own. And so to rebel, <clears throat> excuse me, sows the seeds of future judgment which will meet us on a latter day at the crossroads of our decision. And then finally, <laughs> Uh, there is a judgment from God for presumptuous thinking. Amaziah, the son of Joash, started out well, but his, sto his uh, story ended poorly because he was presumptuous. We are told that he did that which was right in the sight of Jehovah, but his heart was not perfect. And what this means is that his beginning his initial steps were good. He was looking to Jehovah by faith, but he got off course and went astray to his own hurt. My friends, God's ways are not our ways. And he's given us his holy word that we might be enlightened. We must ask God to illumine the pages and so that we might make wise decisions and govern our footsteps in a way, in a manner that brings glory to God. And this king started out well because, for example, he was going to be facing an, uh, an enemy and he had amassed an army of about 300,000 men out of Judah and Benjamin. <clears throat> and the test of his faith came when he decided to garner additional, I think it was an additional 100,000 men from the northern kingdom. And it was at this point that God raised up a prophet to tell this king, King Amaziah, refuse the assistance of the northern kingdom because Jehovah, this is key, Jehovah, this is key, Jehovah was not with them. And this is important because God is teaching us that he doesn't need our resources in order to work mightily on our behalf. And that brings me to this, one of the key verses that becomes the watchword for besides still waters. Second Chronicles 16, 9. For the eyes of Jehovah run to and fro through the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of those whose heart is perfect toward him. Jehovah's eyes, the Lord's eyes, run throughout the whole earth. And here's the, 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 the hinge upon which this door turns. To show himself strong 
the implication is I am weak. I need God. And I need to cry out to him for his kindness and mercy and remind him of his promise that he wants to show himself strong for me and I don't deserve it. But of myself, I'm a vapor. I'm a, a blade of grass. I'm passing away. I'm transient. I need his grace and power in my life. And this is a very interesting factoid about the nature of God. It is a warning to us to be careful and mindful of who we trust because God may not be with these very people and their counsel. And the anticipated benefit that we were hoping for will be overturned by God. And so the prophet warned this king, if you disregard the counsels of God and attempt to strengthen your army by utilizing this 100,000 men force from the northern kingdom, here's the consequence. Verse 8 of chapter 25, he says, but if you will go, do it. Be strong for the battle. God will make you fall before the enemy, for there is with God power to help and to cast down. Essentially what he said is, go ahead, go right ahead. Hire the army, but God is going to make you fall at that battle because he alone, he alone has the power to help and he alone has the power to cast down. And so this king did the right thing because we were further told that Jehovah, by the prophet, he was told Jehovah can give you much more than this. Jehovah is no man's debtor, my friends. God is no man's debtor as he can provide far more for you and me and what we thought we could have provided for ourselves. And so the king relinquished the help of the 100,000 mercenaries from the northern uh, kingdom. However, <laughs> his failure point was after he defeated the children of Seir, that is the Edomites, and took many of them captives and killed many and took the booty. We are told he brought the gods of the children of Seir and set them up to be his gods and bowed himself down before them and burned incense unto them. Failure point. And here is where his presumption brought him low. Because we are told in verse 15 that the anger of Jehovah was kindled against Amaziah and he sent to him a prophet who said this to him. Why do you seek after the gods of a people who have not delivered their own people out of your hand? Oh, my friend, we see this repeated so often in the Old Testament that the anger of Jehovah was kindled. The anger of Jehovah was kindled. It was kindled. It was like trying to start a, a fire with a little bit of brush and we make a little you know, mo uh, mound of it and we strike the match. We, we're kindling a fire. This king was lifted up in his pride because of the victory that he had. And he made the foolish error of trusting something that was an insult to the God of Israel. And in retribution for what he did, Judah and its armies would now be judged because he was going to avenge himself, uh, we are told the, the 100,000 mercenaries that he released from this obligation, they made a raid on some of the, the, uh, the surrounding um, 
uh, smaller cities uh, on the border of the northern kingdom and Judah and Benjamin. And so now, this king was going to engage in a battle to avenge himself. And both of these kings of the northern kingdom and, 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 uh, and Amaziah, they were exchanging a lot of tough military uh, talk. Now here's the takeaway concerning the ways of God. We are told that God was moving Amaziah to go against the king of the northern kingdom because he, God, had already planned to bring this king down, that is Amaziah. And we find that in verse 20, Amaziah would not hear, for it was of God that he might deliver them into the enemy's hand because they sought after the gods of Edom. His very plan his digging his heels in, his self-confidence was of God. Oh, my friends, God can work even down to the way I'm thinking and we need to be so careful. We need to be so very careful. And so this king was defeated by the northern kingdom and Jerusalem's gates were partially destroyed. And so, my friends, in conclusion, God is holy. God is just. God is righteous. And he will reward us according to our deeds if we have behaved righteously, soberly, in this present age, living in the fear of God, walking with him. And doing so, we can assure ourselves that his ears will always be open to our cry. And when we appeal to him, he would turn his face towards us to bless in answered prayer, as well as the enjoyment of his holy presence. But if we presume to ignore him and live rebelliously, following after doctrines of devils, as the scripture says, thinking we can prosper without God's intervention and, and presence in our lives and his word, in that scenario, we deceive ourselves and only bring ourselves to ruin. Oh, my friend, let us endeavor, as we've always been saying at Beside Still Waters, let us, let us endeavor to walk with God so that our lives will be a blessing and benefit to others and to the glory of God. Thank you for joining Beside Still Waters podcast with Christian Javois. Beside Still Waters is the quiet moment in the stillness of God's presence to receive guidance, light, and grace to live by faith. I hope you've been helped and encouraged to press on living for the glory of God. It has been a pleasure and a privilege to connect with you on this podcast. To stay connected, please follow Christian Javois on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks for tuning in, and we will see you on the next podcast of Beside Still Waters.